Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve Podcast, where the sexaholic or sex addict can find experience, strength, and hope from those that have traveled this road ahead of us. This episode is produced in the spirit of the 12th step to carry the message to other sexaholics. Every effort has been made to remove full names of the speakers in these recordings. This is done in order to follow the 11th tradition regarding anonymity at the level of press, radio, television, and film. This podcast is self-supporting through contributions. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and would like to support The Daily Reprieve, please do so by going to GoFundMe.com, search for The Daily Reprieve, and click on Donate Now. Without further ado, please enjoy today's Daily Reprieve. Thank you. You start and then I'll tell the truth. (laughs) We go through the same thing every time. We're at dinner or lunch and Nancy will say, what are we talking about? And I'll say, what are we talking about? Say we don't know, <laughs> and then we get up here, and who knows what we're going to talk about? Only thing it doesn't matter what we talk about, it doesn't matter what we're going to say. You're going to leave here saying, oh My god, these people are still married. <laughs> <laughs> After 34 years in the program, 57 years of marriage, I'll tell the truth. Nancy will say we've been married 57 years. Six have been happy, but not consecutively. (laughs) And that she's not sure which six they were. Uh, met Nancy when she was 17. Uh, she knew nothing else but me. That's what you think. <laughs> That's what she keeps telling me. And um, so she's learned about marriage and sex from a 19, well, we got married at 21, but we started a little earlier. And, um, you know, all these young kids think they've just modern, wild people. You know? We were doing the same thing they were doing, except we didn't talk about <laughs> And uh, Nancy had to be back at the dormitory. What, at 10 o'clock? We just learned to do it before 10 o'clock. <laughs> and, you know, nothing really changes. But we um, we met each other uh, because we were both at the same university, and Nancy was coming in as a freshman, and I was a sophomore, and everyone kept saying, there's this cute little gal coming in from Miami. She'll be perfect for you. And they were telling her about this short little guy, be perfect for her. And so we met at the soup store, the coffee shop, 
and we had instant hatred. (laughs) (laughs) There was no way I was going to get stuck with this gal for a date. And there was no way I was going to get stuck with that guy for a date. (laughs) And so we never dated next six weeks or so, and we happened to be at a party. He was with another uh, lady, gal, girl, whatever. I was with another guy. And somehow or other, he asked me to dance. A jitterbug. A jitterbug. And we danced very well together. So we got married. (laughs) That was the basis of our marriage. No, and your cute butt. (laughs) She had the cutest little butt. She wore these slack, these kind of outfits with a vest. (laughs) And And I like the way, back then, I like the way he smoked a cigarette. He held it like this, and I thought that was pretty cool. (laughs) And that was the basis of a marriage. (laughs) We danced well together. And I liked the way he smoked. Yeah. Do we dance anymore? Nah, not much. Does he smoke anymore? No. But we are good dancers. When we were in Ireland doing a workshop, what, seven years ago, and they have this cool method in Ireland. They're usually in retreat centers like this. Mm -hmm. And Saturday night, they entertain this small (coughs) and they recite poetry, or they play the guitar. They just do something very pleasant. <laughs> We're the most untalented people you could meet when it comes to things like that. And we knew we needed to give something, so we said, we'll dance for you. <laughs> and we did a jitterbug for them. Uh, we still like to dance. Uh, but now we prefer watching soap operas on TV. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, for those who can watch some TV, I do screen my programs. But we've had a very exciting experience in Netflix lately. We have been watching the soap operas, the Serial stories from Lebanon and from Spain and from Turkey, from Israel. And we're getting a chance to see what we've learned in the program. Everyone's the same. The same stories, same excitement, same family issues and their cultures, their customs, and it's so powerful to see how we truly are all interconnected. But we we met each other, and um, uh, I was from a poor family. I thought she was from a rich family. <laughs> I was always told to marry rich. <laughs> And I was told to marry Rich. We both failed in that department. (laughs) And we both were from poor homes. 
And um, when, after a few months, we decided to get engaged. And we went to get married that year when she was 18. And her parents refused. One reason was they couldn't stand me. (laughs) I didn't speak right. I didn't wear the right clothes. I also was a junior in college without any money saying I was going to become a doctor. My dad, when I told him I want to be a doctor, you know, we're from, my mother had a ninth grade education, and my father barely graduated, I guess graduated high school. My father said, what are you, a snob? And, you know, this was uh, 70 years ago, not 70, this was 60 years ago, that and, uh, How old are you? <laughs> I will never tell you. It's a secret. Those family you secrets. Force me if you know my true age. <laughs> By the way, I'll be eighty in October. Nancy will be seventy. Twenty-three. Okay. <laughs> and uh, nowadays they would have put us in jail or something. Who knows? But things have changed over the years. When I married Nancy, she couldn't drink. (laughs) She was under drinking it. (laughs) For a honeymoon, she couldn't drink. So um, her parents really didn't like me. Her father didn't talk to me for how many years? Until you started making money. Yeah. (laughs) So how many <laughs> Put it this way: I was 29 when I finished the schooling of all the different residence internships and residencies. And Nancy, with our four kids, which we'll get to, uh, put me through medical school. With four kids, uh, she worked residency, um, and. She, uh, her dad on our wedding day, I thought he was warming up. He shakes my hand. What's going on here? Shook my hand. I looked down there were condoms. <laughs> I never thought my parents had sex. I was the only child. And we went to visit them one day after... Before or after we were married, I don't know. I don't remember that. And Harvey went to put up a suitcase on the top of the closet, and a gross of prophylactics fell on his head. <laughs> and he said, "Well, do you know now that they had sex?" <laughs> <laughs> you want to continue? No, go ahead. I like correcting you. <laughs> it's oh, part of my program. So good at it. <laughs> Every now and then I'll say, Nancy, aren't you exhausted? <laughs> She'll say, why? I'll be in the kitchen. Aren't you exhausted? She'll say, why? I'll say, honey, your tongue has not stopped moving, <laughs> correcting me for the last half hour. <laughs> Give it a break. <laughs> Nancy hated my mother. I mean, beyond Oh, I wasn't the only one. (laughs) My mother was dead about 10 years, and we're walking down the street, 
This is in recovery. And Nancy's bad mouthing my mother. I said, honey, the woman's been dead 10 years. Give it a break. (laughs) I like holding on to resentment. (laughs) Isn't it great? Yeah, I told my Essanon group, first entered recovery, there wasn't laughter in the rooms. No, there were claw marks on the walls. <laughs> but there, there was not the laughter that I see today in my Essanon groups that we can look at recovery and look at the things we've done and just, yeah, can't turn back the hands of time. Can't make revisionist history. Can't do that, but I can look at it and that's the way it was. Is it that way today? Perhaps not. (laughs) But it's the learning process, but we can look at it today with humor. And that's a very, very important, important part of my program, to have humor. I really like to laugh. I really like to keep it light. And so for me, it's important to laugh. So we got married, and um, within months, Nancy developed uh, honeymoon cystitis, which means for people, the guys, uh, the woman's bladder gets inflamed, irritated from so much intercourse. I did not know the word no. Just it. And we had four kids in five and a half years. And then Nancy. Then we bought a TV. (laughs) (laughs) So we had four kids in five and a half years. But prior to that, when Nancy got cystitis, um, her doctor brought me and her gynecologist. And he said, you're a sex man. You asked this innocent 21-year-old, how can you say something like that about me? And I got all offended, and he gave us back then, you had to have a prescription for a sex manual. And so that's all I needed, a sex manual. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I can sexualize anything. Give me a sex manual (laughs) on the road. And we ended up having... Four kids, two of them on different birth control. They did not do these big companies. Probably never based the birth control statistics on the frequency we were having. They were probably based on normal frequency. When we were first married, I got a job immediately. And Harvey was not working. So he would pick me up for lunch and take me back to the house. Little did I know I was lunch. That was a joke. Yeah, you have to laugh. You know, I'll hold up my hand, laugh. Um, Vacation was spelled S-E-X. Now, I believe that sexaholism is a disease. Truly believe from the bottom of my heart. But I believe there are two parts. 
on one side of the coin, there's a sexaholic who wants sex a lot. And on the other side of the coin, there's a sexaholic who doesn't want to have sex much or with his back, whatever. I can only speak to the side of being married to a sexaholic who wants sex all the time. That's my frame of reference. That's my story. That's my experience. So for years, and I said this to my S9 group earlier, I would lay in my bed with tears in my ears for having sex all the time when I did not want it. Because that no was not an option. During that early part where we got that manual or when I had that problem with cystitis, And I remember saying to Harvey one night when he wanted sex, I remember, I thought it was cute. Oh, Harvey, this is John's night out. We won't have sex tonight. I was met with such rage and anger that I quickly learned that no was not an option. And in order to keep my marriage sort of steady and not rock the boat, I learned to have sex whenever he wanted it, period. Your turn. (laughs) 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 Yeah, what are you going to follow with that? (laughs) You know, we talked before about shame. I don't think you're feeling shame coming from me right now. Because I truly know I've had this illness since I've been a little boy, way before I met my mom. Now it will come. I brought this disease into my marriage and into my entire life. From the time I was a little boy, I could remember undressing my Sunday school teacher and his wife in my mind when I was a little, little kid, before I knew what sex was. Now, what is nurture? What is nature? We'll never maybe know for sure. But all we got is the statistics and studies that have come out of alcoholism. And many alcoholics are genetically inclined to alcoholism. Just is. Not every one of them. But some are. Some people are destined to have diabetes. Genetically. But some can just eat too much sugar later in life and develop diabetes. Okay? But we're not here to argue, is this a disease, isn't this? But if you read the AA book, it's based on the disease model. And the SA book talks about the drug addiction of lust. 
in my life, it was my answer to realize I wasn't bad and evil getting good. Yes, I'm a man who brought venereal diseases to my wife quite a few times. That I'm not evil and bad getting good. That I had an illness that just kept me comatose, delirious, drugged up. For years and years and years. So, we got married. We had our kids. Um, and I was about 35. And I was exposed to homosexuality. And then that crept into my illness. So I had a problem compulsive masturbation. Uh, sexually too often with my wife frequency and then added some homosexuality onto it and um, could never get enough. And one door never closed the other door. Once the, the door gets open, it never gets closed. Because it's based on the disease model. It's called the phenomenon of craving intolerance. To get the same effect on the brain, you build tolerance. So someone who's an alcoholic might start and have buzzes with one or two drinks, and eventually a, a fifth doesn't do it. We build tolerance, and then we go through it fraud. Then we need a higher dose and more withdrawal, and we don't even know it's happening. We have no idea this is what's happening. You could never have told me that's what's happening. Um, things got quite complicated in our home. Nancy's mother went blind. Her father died driving her mother somewhere on the highway. Uh, we had a heart attack. Uh, we brought her up from Florida to live with us. And I was still drinking at the time. And uh, my sexual addiction was real high at the point. And she attempted suicide in that house. And we finally brought her into the emergency room and called an ambulance. And she was in the Intensive care, and I was so totally insane that I started yelling at her in intensive care, saying, look what you did to my family and my sons. You can never come back here to my home. And we sent her back to Florida. Mm You should see the expressions of your <laughs> The yes nons have heard this story earlier. <laughs> this is real stuff. <laughs> One of my sons says, um, Dad, every family has a story. Not always as exotic as ours. 
By the way, three of our four children are in one form of recovery. They don't drink. One has over 32 years. No, that's right. They all have about 28 to 32 years sobriety, starting in high school. We started putting them in treatment centers. Yeah, I always say to my Essanon group or Al-Anon group, wherever I am, don't worry about your grandchildren's tuition or your children's tuition. Save the money for the treatment centers. <laughs> we have a person in our area. Their child has never seen them. They've been sober for many, many years. Never saw them in their disease. And it's going through the same. And for those of you who are afraid your kids will get it. Well, well our kids, three of our four sons got the alcohol part. None of them got the sexual addiction part. That we know of. That yet. we know of. And they're in their 50s. Mm-hmm. But our granddaughter got both. Mm-hmm. It runs totally in my family. You don't go into shit. How many of you blame your parents if you have high blood pressure and they had high blood pressure? It's unheard of. You don't sit around being angry at your family because they had high blood pressure. Now you've got high blood pressure. Or hypercholesterol? You go, how often do you play that game? Or you get a coronary insufficiency and you say, oh, my parents caused it. Or you blame it on God. Mm, that's a good one. Addicts always have to blame it on something. And God tends not to talk back. <laughs> so he's a perfect one to say. Oh, why did you give me this disease? Or why did you do this? And why did you do that? And the secrecy of the disease. We know people who, especially the essays, go to meetings and find their brother. The brothers never talked about their disease to each other. We had the opportunity several years ago, two brothers found themselves in the meetings and told their parents and wanted Harvey and me to go talk to the parents. Well, hell, what the hell do we know about this stuff? (laughs) So we went to their parents' place of business. It was the two, six of us. The two boys sat at each end of the table. Their mom and dad were there. Harvey and I were on this side. And this was a ultra-religious family. Ultra-religious family. father being a clergyman. Yes. Men of renown. Yes. And so for about, what, two hours? Maybe if not more, if not more, the six of us talked about the disease and the recovery. 
We were on vacation, by the way. <laughs> oh, well. It took us one bus and I think three trains. Subways and we got lost yeah. anyway. Um, <laughs> but that's what happens in recovery. You know, our 12th step is carrying the message. And tell, tell them what the guy said. No matter what you do, I love you or something. Oh, yeah. So at the end of the meeting with this clergyman who was devastated by what his sons had been doing, he said to them, boys, there is nothing you can do to stop me from loving you. I said, I want to know this man. For the past four years, Almost every Wednesday night for a couple hours, we're doing biblical study. We had another opportunity um, in a different country. This uh, sexaholic told his parents, would we meet with his parents? So we had that game. Gee, I'd love that one. Oh, remember? With the factory? We had a oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, goodness. <laughs> yeah. That so if you want us to talk one. to any of your parents. <laughs> 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 oh. For my, let's say I've been sober 35 years in AA now. Think like for my 25th birthday. All my, we have 11 grandchildren, most of them, they made a surprise AA birthday from the party with all the grandkids with everyone. They didn't know what they were saying. They were this big, happy AA birthday, Papa. (laughs) And one of my granddaughters says, Grandpa, will you tell your sexual addiction story to Yeah, we visited her at the treatment center in, in another state, and um, she requested that. In Utah. That's in right. Utah. That uh, she must have been 19, 20. No, much younger. Oh, oh. She had just in and out of heart. Oh, uh, oops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so um, one day, my son meets the most. Gorgeous gal. We're all short in our family. Natural. Genetic. And he brings home this blonde, gorgeous blonde that it's all that he is. And we're sitting in the den. And out of nowhere, he says, Dad, we want to hear your essay story. (laughs) I said, in front of your girlfriend? He said, yes. <laughs> Nancy crawled under the <laughs> I'm glad you're laughing at all hours. <laughs> and you know, the, the, the either happy part of this or the tragic part of this, it's all true. Either way you want to look at it, it's all true. So I said to him, okay, son. I'll go get a brochure because that's how I do it with my kids. I read the problem. Mm-hmm. 
And I said, this is me. I read the problem from scripture. He said, no, I want you to tell me it. Oh, man. And I sat there stunned. <laughs> and I prayed. I said, God, you talk for me. And I said in front of his girlfriend, this runs in my family. I have a disease that has me act out. And my disease took the form of sexually uh, abusing your mother years ago. Uh, compulsive masturbation in the back. And promiscuity with both men and women. And then I shut. You can hear a pin drop. In three counties down the road. The silence was deafening. And all of a sudden, in front of his girlfriend, he starts to cry. And he says, Dad, I want you to know how proud I am of what you've done with your life. By the way, you never married that one. You know, we're the only big book and essay book some people are ever going to read. We. We are the miracles. We are the light to the nations. And the pioneers. And the pioneers. This illness has affected people over the century. It doesn't know anything. It's non-discriminatory. And they play it up in certain religions. It's the newspaper about certain type of clergy. Don't fool yourself. It's happening in all denominations. It just plays bigger when they emphasize a certain group, in my opinion. But it's happening everywhere because a certain percent of the population are sex addicts. Then you pick up the newspaper day after day, prominent people who have everything in quotes, and they're doing sexual addictive behavior. And if you want to keep the religious model that you're you you're either married to a bad person getting good or don't or you're a person who has a disease and thinks they're bad getting good, go for it. But I have not seen it work in 34 years. What we have seen work is I'm married to a sick person. And they're getting better. Or they're not getting better. And then I have to make a decision. Do I want to stay living with them? 
This is not a life sentence. And by the way, for the Essenons, they cannot get sober for you. It won't work. I could not get sober for Nancy. I tried. I could not get sober for my children. I tried. I could not get sober for my God. I tried. I had to get sober for me. So no matter how Essenonish or Ammonish or if you are married to a man or a woman with diabetes and the only way he'll take his insulin is if you sit on him and remind him and give it to him and do it and take it, it's not going to work. And sometimes he might have to leave town, sometimes this and that. There's no way to control it. It's an illness. And if you go around, and there are probably about, there are two women who have more sobriety than me, and then there are about four men who have, four or five, who have 30 years of more sobriety. I have 34 now. But, and you ask them, and they're all from to my knowledge, religious backgrounds, different religions. You ask them about how you stay sober, they will tell you about the disease mind. And not only is that, we call it the family disease. Because you throw a stone in a pond, and you get ripples. Well, this disease ripples into the family. Last weekend, I was to the very first Essanon Essateen standalone convention. It was held in Nashville, Tennessee. This was the first one that Essays did not attend. It was only for Essanons. And Essanons came from literally all over the world. We were about 200 strong. And it was so empowering to hear the stories of the other recovering Essenons in that group setting. And that's why it is so important. And I really, I want to thank Harvey for many, many years ago, he never kept his recovery a secret. The children knew where he was going. He left the recovery literature on the table in the den. It was never a secret. In fact, one time one of the kids said, could you take your material away? I'm having friends over. (laughs) But it was never a secret. And I know I sit in meetings with Essanon. Who, whose kids are having problems, the same problems those husbands have had. My question, do your kids know? No, my spouse won't let them, won't tell the story. And then they catch their kids. We're in the, now the second, third generation. They catch the kids doing pornography. 
What a shock. And then I, the first thing I say, have you told them your story about pornography? No way. When you live a double life in recovery, it's still a double life. <clears throat> That's what you live in your illness. That doesn't mean you go everywhere shouting from the rooftops. But when appropriate, you have no choice. Unless you're inundated with shame, which means you don't believe the disease model. You don't believe the disease model. It's going to be tough. One second, okay. One, so one more story, and then we'll leave it open for questions or a statement. I want to tell you about our sex life. Oh, good. I'd like to hear it. Because that's one of the things <laughs> you, you don't talk about in sex and anonymous. Sex and marriage. It just not talked about. It's like it's not happening. After eleven months of sobriety, I came in. We had no book, no essay book. It hadn't been written. Came in. The guy who brought me in. <laughs> there were just two of us, basically. Relapsed after six months. Found. This old woman he was doing obscene phone calls with and cut her heart out. Literally. Literally. And went to prison for life. He just got discharged a few months ago. God. And showed up at a meeting, called my name, and I, you know, he changed after 33 years. Trouble recognized him. So, you know, here, here is this guy and me and we're in all this and I lost my place the oh about the sex life oh, no. no wonder I lost my place because I'm going to tell you the next thing that's God's intervention Roy lost his sobriety in a year and a half Roy K the founder and then he had his long term sobriety so here I was by myself, frightened that I was going to lose my sobriety. That's everyone I knew lost their sobriety. And I said, what's the one thing I could do that I don't want to do? And I went to Nancy and I said, honey, maybe we need a period of absence. Would you mind? Would you mind? Well, I saw a look on her face. I thought she'd run out of the room screaming, no, 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 anything but that. (laughs) 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 Instead, fooled you. A look I had never seen on her face. Hatred of such depths. She said, I've had enough sex with you that last year of life. Now I'm a sex addict. Didn't understand what she was implying. (laughs) (laughs) So after six weeks, honey, I'm ready. For the first time in our married life, 
I said, I'm not. And no was taken. First time. This is the absolute beauty of recovery. No was respected. Not willingly, but it was respected. (laughs) So I called my sponsor up. (laughs) Say. I loved his sponsor. Jess was my sponsor. He always stuck up for her. And um, I said, can you imagine that? The... Here I am doing such a great program, and now she's refusing to have sex. And he said to me, Harvey, you're a sex addict. How do you know when to stop your accidents? Let God talk through names. Well, <laughs> it looks like God either is very busy. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he needed a nap. <laughs> it was 21 months. But who was counting? <laughs> <laughs> and at that moment, after 21 months, I realized I was never going to have sex again with Nancy. Was it ever going to happen? She usually tells, you know, I make it a pretty picture of how dedicated I'm. She usually tells the other side. I say, honey, I'm going to. Oh, have a- I heard more whining during that 21 months. Yeah. I'm going to have nocturnal emissions. <laughs> this isn't really good for my program. It's going to hurt my prostate gland. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He never served cheese with his wine. So, just... so I asked myself the question, are you willing to stay there? I wasn't sure. Are you willing to stay there knowing you'll never have sex again? And what so, was your decision? <laughs> I'll never tell. <laughs> and something deep in me said, yes, I'm willing never to have sex again to stay in this. Within days, Nancy requested. You talk about a fourth dimension, spirituality. I can only interpret it as something in me finally was safe. That she could finally feel safe. Yes, it wasn't on her side. It was something in me made me safe. The problem. And once I was safe, she was safe. From an abusive husband. Sex in marriage is such a problematic thing. And we went for years. I was afraid I'd go back my old ways. So I said, honey, 
will have sex when you request it. It's like asking the poll, would you want sex? Let me know. <laughs> We're walking down the street and I see a, a young gal and guy walking together holding hands. I'll say to Nance, honey, isn't it a mark? Unbelievable. Everyone goes to have sex. They're going home to have sex. She said, what are you talking about? <laughs> They're walking down the street holding hands. Is that all you think about? Said, Absolutely, don't you? <laughs> no. I will convert an orchid plant into a sexual object. That's what my brain does. <laughs> And on that note, and I'm glad that's not to hear what I tell the essays, is your job cannot be to convince your wives or husbands you are well. Your job is to explain that you're sick with an incurable disease, that you are going to need this medication one day at a time, forever. Otherwise, how can Nancy live an everyday life without personalizing that I'm rejecting her so much? I'm on the phone all through the day. And night. And night. But who's noticing? (laughs) Thank God she likes these soap operas. (laughs) I'm off to a meeting. Off to meetings. I need the minimum of four to five meetings a week after all these years. Or we're watching TV and all of a sudden I jump up and I'm out of there. That I'm not going to watch anything raunchy on television. So we're driving. We used to get these novels while we took big trips and a raunchy thing will show up. And Nancy will... And I'll turn it down. And two seconds later, she'll turn it up. I'll say, honey, it's not over yet. Oh, yes, it is. As a huffing and puffing still going on. (laughs) And I turn it off and she turns it on. (laughs) Because she's not grasping it. It's not in her frame of mind. Don't ever expect an Essanon to understand you with your disease. They can't. They don't have the disease. It's like a man trying to understand a woman going through childbirth. It can only be words. It cannot be explained. Especially if you're not explaining it to yourself. I'll I'll figure it out is not a slogan. Mm -hmm. Our brains can stop the progression of recovery by using the word why. It will stop a progression. Sorry. Our job is not to figure out how the donkey got in the ditch, but how to figure out how to get the donkey out of the ditch. (laughs) 
And it, it's an existential decision. And some men tend to, or women tend to relapse. That's an existential decision. And what I say to SNI women or men, <laughs> if your husband's a relapser, and as Nancy would say, you could love a relapser. You could love an addict. You could love a sexaholic. But my, it, the only advice I ever give, because I was the recipient, if you're having sex with an active sexaholic, take precautions. Have safe sex. Because I have been the recipient of STDs. And I don't wish it on anyone else. And I'm not telling you not to have sex. That's not my, not my bailiwack. My suggestion is to have safe sex. Because this disease will kill the Essanon. It will kill us. And the Essanon. On that happy note. <laughs> Next stop, we the, dance and sing. The other side is, yes, people do recover. And there are different patterns of recovery. This is not a cookie-cutter program. There are about, I think, a third people come and they relapse and they just disappear. There's about a third who tend to keep relapsing, but eventually get it. And about a third, maybe, never relapse. But they're different journeys. They're just different journeys. For the most part, people who keep coming back get better. I've, I've had to loosen up some of my own ideas on it because some chronic relapsers you see that they do, they're changing. Something's changing. And the frequency might be less or why. Also, not everyone who comes to SA are sex addicts. Some people are sexual abusers. You know, like you're an alcohol abuser from the old diagnosis or an alcoholic. Now they word it all under the word of alcohol use disorder. But some people don't have the progression. So there are some men who watch pornography. And it will be the same kind of pornography they watched as teenagers. They're usually sex abusers. But a sex addict, man, that pornography is going to keep increasing in severity. Yeah, that. did you have any questions? <coughs> Yeah. Uh, how did you switch from like the shame based religious model to the disease model? Uh, I thank AA for that. I don't think it could have been done without my first coming to AA for six months before I got sober in essence. Because the word powerless makes no sense without the doctor's opinion. The first part of the AA book. 
if this is a physical allergy accompanied by a mental obsession. And so I was a believer when I came in. But the, but it wasn't working for me in AA to stop the lust addiction. First of all, I didn't realize it was a lust addiction. I thought I was a compulsive masturbation. But that's what helped me get in because in AA, I knew I was able to stop drinking for one day only at a time. And so I knew it could happen with masturbation. Once that cleared, then these other levels came in until I could comprehend what Roy wrote, that we are powerless over less, what goes on in our brain. 